0: It's an amazing thing, O Lord, to uh, sit with the truth that you set your love on us. That you look on us. Your face is available to us. You haven't turned away in anger. You're not looking down your nose at us. You're not just vaguely disappointed. That's not the expression on your face when you see us. You have set your love on us. When we have the courage to look You full in the face, we see there a smile, a welcome, a blessing. You know us, O Lord. You know our story. You know the journey of our lives. And I thank You that You're with us in it all. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. This, um, this past week has, for many of us in our congregation, and, and perhaps for others of you of which we're not aware, uh, been in the last couple of weeks, a real season of, um, of chaos, of, of, of wondering what in the world is, uh, is going on, what's up, what's where are we going. There is a, a mistake sometimes that we make uh, as we accept Christ, as we start to follow him, is that when we get ourselves in alignment with him, when we, when, we, when we kind of pattern our lives after him, when we become his disciples, that everything kind of just starts to fall into place and gets, gets uh, squared away and, and, and becomes easier and easier and easier. And sometimes that's true and other times it's not so true. Uh, and, and actually, the text we'll look at this morning is one of those times when the, when the disciples of Jesus got their, their statement, their belief, exactly right. They could sign on the line. They could check the box. They, they were believing exactly the right things. And it did not make any difference in how they actually lived. And Jesus, of course, is not interested in what people believe first. He's interested in how they live. Jesus knows that if you get the living right, the belief will follow behind as certainly as caboose follows engine. But it's not so much so the other way around. Every demon in hell believes everything about Jesus that you believe. So what's the difference? The difference is that it doesn't make any difference in how they actually live. So the story that we're looking at today, if you were here last week, you know that the service uh, with the number of things we were doing as a community, sending missionaries and and entering more fully into worship, didn't have a chance to look at the Word. So this week, uh, Darren told me that he'd like me to kind of take the text that I had prepared and was working on for this week and the one that he didn't have a chance to do last week, and smoosh them together into one uber sermon. So we'll be out of here probably. No. Um, I'm just, just saying. Um, and, and I was, you know, I, I thought, that's crazy. These things are going in different directions, and I, I'm not sure that I can, I can do that. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I, I prayed, start to pray through that and work through the text, and, 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 it, and it was really one of those moments where you just realize, okay, God's up to something here that I, I hadn't kind of clued into, because I'm a tree guy. You, you know what I mean? I, I, love, I love to examine the, the details and get into the, into the details. But when you do that, what do you miss? You miss the forest, right? You miss the, the backing away and seeing the, the, the larger landscape. And so today we're going to go on, on, on a, uh, uh, an exploration of the forest. We're going to have to move fairly quickly Because I really want to sit with the chunks of Scripture that are available to us. So if you've got Bibles, uh, turn to page 821 if you're using this one. If you're using your own uh, translation, it is Mark chapter 9. And we'll start at verse 14. If you need Bibles, we've got a few on the sides. Anybody need one? Just uh, go ahead and stick up. your uh, Vikram, we've got one up here as well, if you would. Please, thanks, man. Anybody else? Okay, we've got one more over here. Uh, Lala, would you mind give me a hand here? Okay, we got one. We got it. We got it. Thanks, man. Okay. So we're on page 821 if you're using this one, Mark chapter 9, and we'll begin at verse uh, 14. I need to set, if you can kind of get there, and then we'll, we'll get there in just one second. A uh, couple of weeks ago, uh, remember we were with Jesus on the, on the, on the kind of north side of the Sea of Galilee, and he had, by this time walked with His disciples for almost two and a half years, and finally thought they had been following Him long enough to have kind of got who He is. And so He begins to explore with them the implications of that by saying, "Who, first of all, do people say that I am? What's the word on the street? What are you hearing? They give him the answers that were typical at the time. And then He asked them, okay, now who do you guys... You've been with me for this time. You've seen what I've done. You've heard what I've said. Who do you think? Who do you say that I am? And they, they, they got it right. You are Messiah. You're the, you're the one that we have been expecting. You're the one that God has told us to, to believe is coming. You're, you're, the, you're the guy. We're, we're in. And so they got, you know, here's your license. You know, you've passed the test. You're you are You're good to go. The problem was, as you recall, at that time, is that they had in mind what they meant by that language, and it was radically different than what Jesus had in mind when he uses that language. So, for Jesus to be Messiah, to be the Christ, means I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be uh, uh, crucified, and I'm going to rise again. That's what it means for me to be disciple, uh, for me to be M- Messiah. And immediately we push back against him and say, no, it can't mean that. Because if we're your disciples and that's going to happen to you, there's a pretty good chance that we're going to end up in the same boat. What we really need you to do, Jesus, is shut up about this cross business and start making plans for who of us needs to be measured for the crown and the robe. Jesus, you're not writing stuff down when I talk. What's what's up here, right? Because we all, by the way, anybody else find yourself pushing back against Jesus as He actually is? Right? Trying to force Him into the mold that you want Him to be. So, again, Jesus is is pushing back against this expectation. You'll notice how often in the Gospel of Mark, He has resisted anybody else's telling Him who He is, how He's going to operate, what His kingdom is like, and so on and so forth. And this is a story that kicks it kicks into that. So in at the end of that story, he says to them, uh, there are some of you who are standing here who will not die before you see the kingdom coming in its glory. So then he leads us where, where Darren t- uh, w- was uh, with us a couple of weeks ago on the Mount of Transfiguration, this place where Elijah and Moses come and and are in conversation with Jesus in a vision that Peter, James, and John had capacity to see. The nine who were remaining apparently were not invited into this into this understanding, but these three were. Kind of the the three guys who, by the way, are going to consistently over the next few chapters self promote. Jesus, we can handle whatever you give us. We're ready. At one point, he's going to ask James and John, are, are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm going to be baptized? And the guys say, yeah, we're ready. We're in. Yeah, yeah. We don't know. We've, we've, we've passed all the exams. We're ready to go. Just, you know, let us know which one of us is on the right and which one of us is on the left. That's all we need. Just clarify that for us. Right? So clearly, they, these three guys, clearly, I, I think they're chosen because they're the lead disciples but also the dumbest. They need this revelation. They need this moment. And what happens when they get this sense of who Jesus is? The guy is glowing brighter than the noonday sun. They see him in the daylight emanating light. And do they get it? No. Let's build a tent here. One for you, but then one also for Abraham. And Excuse me, uh, Moses and one for Elijah. In other words, Jesus, we recognize you as being one more like them. Oh, crap. No, guys, that's not what this is about. Voice from heaven, this is my son. Right? Now, coming down from the mountain is where we pick up this story. Verse 14. When they had come to the disciples, finally the remaining ones, they saw a great crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw, them, saw him, they were immediately overcome with awe and they ran to greet him. He asked the crowd, what are you guys arguing about with my disciples? Someone from the crowd said, teacher, I brought my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak whenever it seizes him. It dashes him down, it foams, it grinds its teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, You faithless generation, how much longer must I put up with you? How much longer must I be among you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to Jesus. When the Spirit saw him, it immediately convulsed the boy, and he fell to the ground, rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the Father, How long has this been happening to him? He said, From childhood. It is often cast him into the fire, into the water, seeking to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if I am able, all things shall be done for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Jesus saw that a crowd was gathering. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Spirit that keeps the boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him, never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he's dead. Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. And when he was able to stand, uh, and, and he was able to stand, excuse me, verse 28. When he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately... Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, this kind comes out only through prayer. I'm going to keep on going through to verse 37 in, this, in, in the next chunk, but this one is, uh, focuses on the kind of place that we want to go. Jesus, remember, is trying to teach us about the kingdom, about the nature of the kingdom, and, and how to negotiate kingdom life in the middle of the chaos that, that, that we live in that we have brought about ourselves, on ourselves rather, that has occurred because of other stuff is is happening. And one of the concerns I think that Jesus has is that His disciples think that by believing the right stuff, the kingdom has come. By getting the edges of the box right, they have life in the center. And that's not true. So the, 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 the point that he wants to get, because please notice, these are the disciples. They have just confessed, you are the Christ. You're, you're the guy. So they are believing the right things. But when push comes to shove in that spiritual realm, they have no capacity to live that way. Have no capacity to live in that reality. Jesus is not interested in you saying things and living differently. In a confession of faith that doesn't translate to hands and feet and heart. Do you you see? He wants us to understand that the kingdom of God is not just about getting the little checkbox right. Getting an orthodoxy certificate. He wants us to get an orthopraxy certificate. Not just right belief, but right practice. Practice. You with me? Because the kingdom of God is not just about believing the right things. It's about standing in a certain reality existentially out of which I negotiate the rest of my life. Right? Because Jesus is very aware. It is possible for us to bifurcate, to separate what we believe from how we feel. And what we feel is what really governs how we live. Jesus is not opposed to emotion. He knows that emotion is what gets us off the dime. If it wasn't for the pitter-patter of a heart set on fire by beauty walking in the room, marriages would not likely always occur. You with me? Emotion is what takes us past our cognitive capacity to think about the right things in the right ways and actually gets us to embrace truth and live in that reality. With me? So we live in a world that is very, especially in the church world, that is very content to measure what we believe at the outside edges, the fence lines. And notice what we do when we get this. It gives us power to determine who's in and who's out. It gives us capacity to say, if you say the right things in the right way, namely the way I say them, you're in. And if you don't say the right things in the right ways, then you're out and you're an object of evangelism or ridicule depending. Because we do that, don't we? And Jesus is just saying, "Mm, not so much. You guys have got the right belief now, I need you to learn how to live in the reality that you have spoken. To let it govern how you negotiate your existence. And he uses this story, which is a, a, a powerful one, to illustrate that. He comes down from the mountain with this mo- moment. The crowds come and, 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 and they're, they're disputing the Pharisees. Um, and, and the crowds are in disputation with the disciples. They're trying to figure out what's gone wrong. Try this, try this. A father has brought a son who has been demonized since he was a child. Again, similar to the story we read uh, a, a little while ago. Um, and, 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 and this boy is at a, at a place of, of um, uh, uh, almost disability as a result of this. And Jesus is concerned about the boy's health and well-being obviously the father says i brought him to your disciples and they having now this is not what he says but i need you to translate with me having said the right things about you do not stand in the reality that they're speaking right they believe everything's right about you they just don't have any spiritual power or authority in this realm they don't stand in the reality that they have spoken You, you with me This is a tough concept for us to get, so I'm hopeful that your nods are indicating that uh, it's not just move on, uh, but that you're kind of getting this. Because this is is really important. Because the thing is, every demon in hell believes everything about Jesus that you believe. What's the difference? The difference is not belief. The difference is discipleship. The difference is, does your belief translate into behavior? Does it affect your sexuality? Does it affect your finances? Does it affect your marriage? Does Has your marriage become a transforming intimacy, not only of you, but of the communities you're in? Do you hold your singleness as a treasure given to you as a means of glorifying God in your body and mind and soul and spirit in a way that is uniquely yours? Do you, do you, do you see Do you live out, practice what you confess with your mouth? Or is it just that we come together on Sunday morning and we sing the songs and self-congratulate because we passed another test, we checked the right box. But on Monday morning when we go to work, where the kingdom of God actually confronts the kingdom of darkness, it doesn't matter. Jesus is not interested in the kingdom coming to you if it does not come through you to the world to whom He is sending you. Do you you see? This is so critical for us. So so here's the the tension. The disciples are trying magic Jesus. Right? They're trying Sunday school Jesus. And it doesn't work. So they're confused. It doesn't work. Now remember, it's not too long ago, they were casting out demons and so on and so forth. So they were trying the same old stuff, but it doesn't work. Jesus meets the guy and, and, and asks him what the problem is, diagnoses the situation, and, and and then and then the father says this interesting thing. If you can help us, help us. If you will. And Jesus just just he's he's already frustrated, right? Because he's come down the mountain with these guys. You know, he, he's walking about ten yards ahead of them. He just cannot even stand to walk with those guys. He's just three three tens. Come on, right? And and he's doing doing this now. He now he's confronted with the other guys who also are not standing in the reality that they've confessed only ten minutes ago. Do, do, do you feel anybody else feel the frustration rising? With the disciples, just me. Okay, I'll, I'll be done here in a few minutes, so so it'll it'll be it'll be over. Um. So anyway, we're 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 in the scenario, and the and they and he says, listen to what he says. I ask your disciples to cast them out. This is verse nineteen now. You faithless generation, what does that mean? How much longer do I need to be among you? How much longer do I have to put up with you? faithless generation means literally, not people who are believing the right things, but people who don't stand. That's what faith is. Stand in the reality that they confess. These disciples are saying the right things, but they're not standing in that reality. To that degree, then, they are faithless. You with me? So now the, the, the dialogue with the dad. How long has it been happening? From childhood, if you can, if you are able, if You are able. If I am able, everything's available if you will just stand in that reality. You will believe. Right? And I love what the Father says. Okay, I think I'm getting this. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Anybody find yourself right at that crossroads of belief and unbelief? I'm saying the right things. I desperately want to get it right in my life. God, help me! Because I live in a world that needs me to get belief superimposed over unbelief and transform it so I can be an an agent of transformation, right? Jesus sees this in the Father. He sees a crowd beginning to gather who are starting to pull out their flip phones and they want to post this on YouTube before the night's out because it's going to get, it's going to go viral. We know it. It's going to go. It's going to go. Because, I mean, you know, here, I mean, this is pretty spectacular. We have a boy with what amounts to, in our culture, say an epileptic seizure. And instantly Jesus is going to heal him. We know how this is going to go down because this is the kind of guy he is, right? So everybody get your cameras out because it's going to get a million hits on YouTube. So so Jesus is not going to let this boy become a monetized faith. He's not going to do that. So before the crowd can get their cameras out, before they can get posed... He just heals him. Just casts the demon out. Raises the boy up and moves on about his business. It's too late. By the time they get there, it's over. You with me? I love Jesus for that, by the way. He is not going to make your healing an object. You with me? Okay. So anyway, now he comes in, and I love this next part, into the house. And his disciples are asking him privately, I love that image. Why wouldn't they ask him publicly? Because they've already been yelled at by Jesus three times today. This is not going to go well. Right? If we pin him on this, why couldn't we do this in public? He's going to say, because you guys are no better than the rest of the crowd. You've been with me for three years and you still believe the right things, but don't stand in the reality that you confess. That's why. Well, I'm glad we asked. You know, so they ask him privately. In the house. Why couldn't we cast him out? Notice the language that he uses. He's changing the code words here, but it means the same thing. This kind only comes out through prayer. Now notice, he does not say prayers, and he does not say praying. In other words, if you would just pray a little bit harder, that the guy would be uh, released, he would have been released. That's not what he's saying. Prayers, prayer here for Jesus is His language for standing in the reality that you confess. Prayer is that spiritual reality that we stand in. You guys are only standing in your heads, not your hearts. So prayer is more than just praying, saying the right words, right? This is about standing in the reality that is about prayer. You guys need to learn to stand in that, He's saying to them then this kind of thing will be available to you as well. You need training in reality. How many feel the need for reality training? Right? To learn how to pray, not to stand in that reality. Not, not to get things done, but to know who He is in a way that transforms the way you live. That's what He's saying. With me? Does that make sense? Um, I, I stopped in the first service, uh, but I'm running out of... Uh, I'm tight in time. Can I ask... Can I stop? Is that okay? Anybody have any questions on this part? I don't... We don't usually do this, but this is so important that I want to... If, if there's some things that you want me to clarify on this, because it's really critical that we, 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 we get this. Yeah? Yeah. And, and what, you've, what the gentleman said was some translations add prayer and fasting. This was added about 500 years after this, the original manuscript. Script, and part of the reason it was added, you can hear the church's attempt to understand what Jesus was actually saying here. And they're seeking to clarify uh, the, what, what Jesus is saying because what they want to say is that this is about praying and fasting. That's not what he said. He said prayer. And the difference is this... Um, If we're not careful, we make things like praying and fasting the open sesame of faith, right? It's like a three-year-old holding their breath. I'm not going to eat until you do what I want you to do. And some people teach fasting in precisely that way. Fasting is not about manipulating God. It's about shaping your soul for the reception of what he brings. So uh, you can see why the church would do that but also why Jesus probably didn't say that. Yeah, good, good. Anybody else? This is really critical. Do you know that it's really critical other than that I'm telling you that it's really critical? Okay, good. All right, so, uh, verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He didn't want anybody to know about it because He was teaching His disciples he was saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into human hands. They will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they didn't understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. I love that little <laughs> Okay. This is getting too hot even for Peter now. So so we're just gonna we're just gonna Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yeah. You ever have a situation like so so again, he's flying under the radar screen, he doesn't want to be noticed, he doesn't want to be public so he's just teaching his disciples. And what is he teaching them? He's teaching them that the belief systems they had are completely backwards. That their Messiah and him are not the same. Now, he's the Messiah, but not theirs. Because what does their Messiah do? He trains them for power. He trains them for authority. He trains them for position. Right? And what does, their, what does the real Messiah do? He gets measured for a cross. He's going to die. He's going to be betrayed. This is the second time he's told them. And they don't know what he's talking about. Their paradigm of messiahship is so set that they cannot allow him to redefine it for them. In fact, when what goes down is precisely what he said was going to happen, they're as confused and chaotic as if he had not said it three times. Right? so But they're afraid to ask him. Tell, tell us, Jesus, what was that about? So they just keep quiet. However, they are talking. Verse 33. So they come into Capernaum when they're in the house. Jesus asked them, What were you guys arguing about on the way? They were silent. <laughs> because on the way they've been fighting about who was the greatest. <laughs> isn't, isn't this wonderful? Here he, Jesus is saying, I'm going, to, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be, you know, then I'll be r- r- raised again. And they're thinking, okay, now, am I a size 36? I think, I think probably, if, uh, you know, 36, maybe a 40 jacket would be, a, a robe, a, a, ja- a, a robe with a crown. I think probably, I, you know, because and, and they're going to fight about this over and over again in 10, 15 minutes. On their way to Jerusalem for Jesus to die, James and John are going to be saying, now look, Jesus, when you get there, which of us is going to sit, one on your right hand, one on your left? Just, just want to check so that, you know, when the moment comes, <laughs> we're right there. And, and Jesus is just saying, do you guys have a clue about what's going on here? Do you think you're going to be able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism that I'm be baptized? Oh, Jesus, don't worry about that at all. We're ready. Oh, yeah, we're ready. Right? And and it, the the indicator again is that they're just clueless to. The, by the way, how many of you find yourselves talking about things that Jesus is not interested in? Isn't that painful? Where he just looks at you and says, "Really, really, this this is it? I got a world to save, and we're talking about this? I'm training you to be like me." And your concerns are are this. Now, it's not that he, he dismisses us. He just wants us to stand in the reality that we confess and live it out in our real lives 24-7, 365, where we are needed the most, which is tomorrow morning when you stand in front of your classroom or when you stand in front behind the cash register or when you sit down to your computer program or whatever it is that you do, that's where the kingdom of God intersects the kingdom of darkness. That's where chaos is confronted and we need to be trained in that. With me? So he invites them to say, verse uh, um, where am I? Oh yeah. Uh, He gathers the twelve around them and says to them something else that they, by the way, did not understand. Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. So he took a little child, put it among them and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes not me but the one who sent me. You ever want to hug God? Hug a child is what he's saying. Now, for us, that's just that's Hallmark. That's, oh, isn't that love? Oh, isn't that... Uh, oh, Jesus, you're so right. You know, just little children. Aren't they adorable? Yeah, we'll be dedicating kids and all that stuff. And, we love, and, and in 21st century North America, children have a sentimental place. They have no... I'm sorry to say this to you, but they have no real value, which is why we're killing them at the rate we are. But they have sentimental place. They warm our hearts. In the first century, that not only didn't have any value, but they had no sentimental place either. People couldn't afford to be sentimental about their children because they were likely to die. Infant mortality rate was 50%. You didn't dare get attached to a child. Children were viewed as commodity. They were viewed as property. It wasn't when Jesus takes this little child and says, "Now I got want you guys to learn something about the kingdom by the nature of this child. He's innocent and he's trusting and 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 so on and so forth." It's not what he's saying. He's taking a child because in that culture, children were the lowest at the bottom of whatever social structure you want to say. They are the last, the least, the loser. And he's saying, "This is what the kingdom is like guys you've got it completely upside down they had been fighting about who was the greatest who can climb to the highest peaks who's going to be who's going to be the one right and jesus is just saying excuse me guys you're going the wrong way i'm not going up i'm going down y'all come and they're saying uh, who's going to be greatest who's going to be the top jesus just Please. Embraces me like a little child. Because you'll notice, and I read it again, he took that child in his arms. That's unthinkable. Why? Because kids crawl in stuff that will disable you from entrance into worship because you will become unclean having made contact with the things that kids crawl in. I don't know if any of you have had children, but they produce an enormous amount of stuff <laughs> for such tiny little creatures. For the first five years of our boy's lives, I was just permanently walking around with a burp rag over my shoulder because the cups more came out than went in. I'm just saying, from both ends. Did are you with me? Sorry. It, and, 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 and these people get this because they didn't have pampers. Thank you. I was waiting for somebody. All right? And so, so, that, so, so no, no rabbi, no teacher, no great man worth his salt would ever embrace a child because you never know what you're going to touch. Worse, you do know what you're going to touch. And so you can't go to worship. You can't go to temple for another seven days because you're unclean. And what does Jesus do? He embraces the child. He takes that child's uncleanness and embraces it. He gets underneath the lowest of the low. They are wanting to know who's, who they get to be in charge of and He is getting the question answered, how may I serve you? The kingdom is upside down. Or more specifically, it is right side up and we are upside down. So these two stories come together. Jesus is saying, I want you to believe the right things, yes, but I want you to live in the reality that you confess. And here's how. Make your way to the bottom. Find those who need your service. Don't be concerned about your position, your place. Follow me in a race to serve Let's pray. Oh God, as we sit with this story this morning and, 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 and let it kind of resonate in our hearts. It is so difficult for us. It's probably is, is difficult, maybe even more for us than it was for those guys, to get because, for them, it's the first time they're hearing it. For us, we have probably heard this before, at it, it, one form or another. In still pushback, still resistance. So much of the life that we're modeled in the church is about who is the greatest and who's the one whose name is known and who's the celebrity and. And we want some of that, Lord. We, we, we want to be known. And here you come. Hidden, secret, burrowing down deeply underneath all of our expectations, seeking to turn us right side up. I pray, O God, for courage to embrace the kingdom as it actually comes and to live in the reality that we confess. As we draw to conclusion today, Lord, I pray that You will just speak to our hearts. You know the ways in which this works itself out. Please help us. As we sit for just a moment in stillness, I'm going to ask you to attend to the voice of the Spirit. I'm going to close here in a minute, but before we do, I want to pray for any of you who find yourselves in a place of realizing, I need to start living what I've confessed. I just want you to sit with it for just a second. Some of you may want to make your way to the tables of communion, others to find somebody to pray with, but let's just take just a moment. your heads remain bowed for just a minute if you're here today and God has kind of just nailed you on this and you realize this is something I got to start living into and you want to pray with that father Lord I believe I believe all of the right things but help me now in my unbelief if you're here like that and we can pray for you I'm going to invite you just to stand right where you are real quick real quick just going to wait for a few minutes. I don't want to belabor it. Anybody else? This is something I need to stand into. Anybody else? Yes, thank you. Oh, God, help me. Help me, God, help me. Help me. If, uh, if you're near somebody who is standing, would you mind just going and just being Jesus with them, laying hands on them gently, praying with them for the confession of their faith that it would work its way into actual practice. Come, Lord Jesus, help us.